Please remain standing as you're able as we hear from Jeremiah, the 20th chapter. Now the priest Pasher, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things. Then he struck the prophet Jeremiah and put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin gate of the house of the Lord. The next morning when he released Jeremiah from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has named you not Pasher, but terror all around. For thus says the Lord, I am making you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Almost a decade ago, Stanford researchers Jim Collins and Jerry Porras did a study of companies in America that had been extremely successful. And they compared them to companies in America that had come along about the same time, so they would have the same environment, advantages and disadvantages in in competing, and had been even more successful. And they compared the two and came up with a set of principles in a book called Built to Last. And the book sold more than a million copies. And their question is, what is it that makes a company enduringly successful? For some of them, their company was more than 100 years old and was still successful today. Collins went on to leave Stanford with the proceeds. He said he he endowed his own professorship in Colorado, lived in the mountains, and carried on research with other businesses. Porras went on to ask the question, not only what makes some companies enduringly successful, but I wonder what makes individual lives enduringly successful. Why do some lives have a significance that goes on and on while others seem to have a very short shelf life? He wanted to discover what he called what was behind the Mandela effect. Think about Nelson Mandela who was imprisoned for 27 years. While he was imprisoned, he was given numerous opportunities to recant, repent, relent, be released. And Mandela refuses to do so. Finally, Mandela, at the age of 71, is released from prison and becomes president. And even after his presidency, his service to his country and to his people does not stop. How do you, asked Porus, explain a life like that? And the explanation they came up with is in a book called uh, Success Built to Last, Creating a Life that Matters. And Michael began to introduce you last week to some of the concepts in that book, the primary one being this. When they look at hundreds of lives that really seem to matter, that really have significance, this is what they found was the common denominator. They found people living out their passions. They found people who found the fire in their bones that Michael talked about, that, like Jeremiah, and they lived that fire out in their life. These people had a passion. They quote in the book Ralph Waldo Emerson who says that life is more than to just be happy. That real life involves, Emerson said, these three things. Being useful, being honorable, and living well. Those are pretty good categories biblically, I think. Be useful. Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. Be honorable. The Old and New Testament have many verses about honoring God and honoring others. Living well, Jesus summed it up himself. I have come that you might have life in abundance. A life that matters, simply put, is a life where you live out your deepest passion in the world. 
And so I want to talk with you about that today. But as Julie pointed out to the children, it's not enough to have the ingredients. It's not enough to have the recipe. It's not enough to have the passion. But the passion has got to go into action. It's the action stage that is critical. We want to talk about that today. Now, first, I was in one of the services last week, and and Michael suggested that probably under my robe was a Duke T-shirt. No. I am of a certain size where I don't need any additional layers of clothing. And yet, I have found ways to live out my passion for Duke. When my children were growing up and Duke was on TV playing basketball, they were allowed to stay up past their bedtime, provided we were winning. When the annual fun drive comes around, even though we've got caller ID, we answer the phone and we make a commitment. It's not enough to have the passion. The passion has to turn into action. We've all heard the story of the man who who was passionate about deep-sea fishing, and so he subscribed to the magazines. He brought the equipment, and daily he would go down to where boats were coming and going, and he would listen as people got off the boats and talked about the ones they caught and, and the ones that got away. But he never got on a boat, and he never put his line in the water. Could he really be considered a fisherman? It's more than just belief and passion that we need in life. James put it this way in chapter 2 of the letter of James. Faith without works is dead. The New Testament goes on to say about belief in God, even demons believe in God. They know enough to be nervous about it. It's not enough just to believe, to just have an idea in our heart and mind. We must live it out. In fact, the author of the book, uh, Success Built to Last, said he has a principle for life. He says, believe nobody's words, believe only in actions. No matter what somebody tells you they believe or they think, pay no attention to it. Wait and see what comes out in their life. And so today I want to talk with you about turning our passion, our core beliefs, into action. And this is what I want to say to you, that... It will not be easy. It wasn't easy for Jeremiah. Michael and Mark and I faced a decision when we talked about the series that we would do here and in New Heights this month. And we said, what biblical character really models for us success as we think it's defined? And we chose Jeremiah because Jeremiah, by the worldly standards, was not very successful. He was to preach to a king and the priests of a nation of Judah to get them to repent, and they never did. People hated him. They beat him. They locked him away. They left him at the bottom of a cistern. They threatened his life. They tried to kill him. In his lifetime, his people never responded to his message. And yet, nearly 2,800 years later, his words still have profound influence in our life and our faith today. He had not what the world called success, but he had enduring success. But it never came easy for Jeremiah. He faced great difficulty turning the fire in his bones into action. So I want to share with you three difficulties I think you can clearly anticipate if you decide to act on the passion that God has put in your bones. The first is this. The first line of resistance to acting on the passion that God has given you will be your own self. Because like the rest of nature, most of us prefer stability and equilibrium. We sort of like the way things are. And to act on our passion then introduces a change in our environment. 
Helen Keller made this observation. She said, stability and security is basically a superstition. She said, it, doesn't, uh, it is not enjoyed by the animals in nature, and really children of men do not enjoy stability or security very much. In fact, she would go on to say, in the long run, seeking safety and security is more dangerous than exposure. And she closed it with this sentence. A life that is lived well is either daring adventure or it is nothing at all. We are called past our point of stability. And so the first line of, of, of defense against uh, change will be our very own lives. It will be tempting for us just to do what we've always done because we know it, whether it's healthy for us or not. You remember the story of uh, Jesus healing a man who had been ill 38 years. But the healing starts with this. Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be well? Well, at one level, it's like, what kind of question is that? But on the other level, even our illnesses are known to us. The known environment, even if it's not to our advantage, is what we know. And we may prefer that to the change that comes when we are called to act out in our passions. So the first line of defense is simply going to be ourselves. The second thing that will happen when we move out on our passions, we will find that usually there is not a road map. We may have a direction, we may have a passion, a passion for children, a passion for justice, a passion for sharing the love of Christ, a passion for people in need, uh, people who are hospitalized, people shut away where most people cannot or will not find them. We may have that. We may have that. But we typically won't have a road map of where to go. Never confuse the two. In the Bible, very few people are given a road map. God comes to Abraham and, and Sarah and says, get up and go and I'll show you when you get there. I'll tell you. I'll tell you when to stop going. God never tells Abraham where he's going. God says to Moses, now go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, but gives very few instructions other than Pharaoh's going to give you a hard time about it. He's not going to want to let my people go. Moses heads toward the Red Sea and it's a dead end. He doesn't have a clear road map. If he had one, it would stop at that point. He was going off the map when he got to the sea. But what happens is, when we follow our passion, we just have to take the first step of commitment. With all that we don't yet know, we have to act on the passion we do know. And what happens biblically, and I think in our own lives, is that God then begins to show us the next steps. God is not going to hand you your future in detailed plans. Never confuse the direction that God has placed in your life with a road map that someone will give you. There is no road map. I listened uh, to Michael preach here in the sanctuary. I listened to Mark online, and what they both did was the same. Neither gave them a road map for, for your passions. Because you can't. Everybody's different. But I will tell you this. It all starts with the same, making some sort of commitment. And when you make that commitment, other things start to open uh, for you, like the priests when they're crossing the River Jordan, as soon as they set foot in, then the river parts, but not until they take the first step. When you take the first step toward your passion, expect other things to open for you. Tom Clancy was an insurance broker, and he said he made a good living. And for a long time in his life, making a good living was enough for him. But then he said there was a silent scream in his life that just called out for more. He wanted to write. What would he write about? Well, he wasn't exactly sure. Clancy had only had one thing published, a letter to the editor of a magazine. 
about the MX missile. That was it. Nothing else. And yet he knew he was called to write. He started making the time, making the sacrifices, changing his routine. And soon after came the idea, and soon after that, the book, The Hunt for Red October. And since then, there's been book after book after book and movie after movie. But when he first made the step, the book titles were not clear. The movie deals were not in hand. He made the commitment to act out on his passion and the other things opened. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Miriam, Peter, James and John would tell you the same. It starts with a commitment to follow the direction of your passion and then things will open for you. And then finally, then there'll be one other obstacle. And that is whenever you fall in your follow your passion in life, you need to know that there will be opposition. Or at the very least, there will not be loud applause for what you're doing. Because when you step out on your passion, you will be changing your life and you will be changing the way you relate to other people. They don't like change any more than you do. So immediately there's difficulty there. Secondly, you'll be challenging them by following your passion as to why they're not following theirs. That will not be easy for them as well. And so expect. Jeremiah got thrown in jail. Last time most people saw Jesus, he was hanging on a cross. Expect that when you follow the leading that God's put in your heart, there will be opposition. But I've been helped. I've been helped a great deal by a theory in family systems theory that says whenever you begin to clearly identify who you are and act on it, consider the criticism that you receive as applause. Because what it means is people figured out you're different. And if you hadn't become different, they wouldn't have bothered to oppose you. If you hadn't become different, they wouldn't have bothered to criticize you. So clearly, clearly when you start to follow and there's opposition, it means that you're doing something right. You've taken that first step. I think where we get hung up too much in life is we want the outcome and the results to be a way that we want them. And we want to know them. And we want to control them. But the fact of the matter is a life of passion is pretty much a life out of control. It's saying, God, you've placed this in me. I'm going to follow it wherever it leads. And you may not know exactly where it's leading. James March for years taught uh, leadership and management at Stanford But it was only after he retired that he put his theories together in a film series. And the film series on leadership was based on the uh, the movie and the play Man of La Mancha on Don Quixote. And what he did is he coined what he called Quixotic leadership. And he said the thing about Don Quixote charging windmill time after time with no positive results, pining for the hand of a heart uh, that he would never hold, he said Quixote is not driven by outcomes and results. He's driven by his identity, who he is. And so who he is puts him back on the horse. Who he is sends him back toward the windmill again and again and again. He acts not out of predictable or projected results. He acts out of his self-identity, the passions that have made him who he is. So one of the things I would think about when you would follow your passion would be to ask yourself this question, do I want to be liked or do I, want to, do I want to do what I love? It may be that simple. It may come down to that. 
I can either be liked and stay who I am and stay the way everybody found me, or I can do what I love and risk what comes with that. But when you take that first step, if you look at Nelson Mandela, and if you look at Moses and Miriam and Abraham and Sarah, you find that not only are their lives daring adventures, but they have brightened the lives of the world around them by following their passion, following their heart. I was driving around the other day and I saw a skydiving bumper sticker. I don't skydive, but I think I know what it means. And the bumper sticker from the skydiving place said this, Fear is temporary, regret is permanent. Think about that. When you get to the end, will you have left undone the things you really wanted to do? Will you have left undone those things that most mattered to you? Well, I don't think we can move forward on our passion without dealing first with the author of all passion. And, that, and what I would say is this, that a lot of us believe things about God. A lot of us have a recipe. A lot of us have had the ingredients, but we've never put it together in Christ. You will never know what passions God has locked in your soul until you take the first step of commitment to God through Jesus Christ. And stop just believing things about God and start living in God through Christ. Once you do that, other things begin to open that God gives for you. Your progress on your passions will be limited without knowing the author of those passions intimately. I'm reminded of a story, and I'm sure it's a legend. I don't know what the basis is in truth, but it's a story that's been around a long time. Turns out about a little more than a century ago, there was a circus uh, high-wire artist, a trapeze artist, who's had a line strung across Niagara Falls. And he started walking back and forth on the tightrope. And then he started doing tricks on the tightrope. And soon a crowd began to gather. And he got out a wheelbarrow and began to push it across the high wire. And then he stopped and he turned to the people on the side where he was just leaving. And he said, do you all believe that I can go across Niagara Falls on a high wire with a wheelbarrow? And they said, yes, yes, we believe. And they started raising their hand, yes, they believe. So he looked at one man in the front row, had his hands raised and said, well, then will you get in it? We can believe all sorts of things about the goodness, the power, and the grace of God. But will you get in it? If you've not yet made a commitment to the author of all passion, Jesus Christ, I hope that at the close of the service today you'll find a Stephen minister or a prayer minister and let them uh, help you make that commitment. And then know that once you've done that, you'll find, as others have gone before you, the rest of the way begins to open up.